32 tonight, and we're going to continue walking through the Psalms, and uh, we are making a lot of progress, as a matter of fact. We started this a couple of years ago and just going Psalm by Psalm, and many of these Psalms, you see enemies, you see trials, you see problems, you see praise, you see excitement, you see enthusiasm, you see a lot as you study the Psalms. And uh, Psalm 62 would be categorized as a psalm in the midst of trials. And you might be here tonight and you're going through a trial. Maybe you've come through a trial. You're being prepared for a trial. I want you to uh, look at a couple of verses tonight as the Word of God in Psalm 62 emphasizes the very first statement. As the Bible says, truly my soul waiteth upon God. Verse number five, the Bible says, my soul wait thou only upon God. And so as you walk through this psalm, you're going to see the psalmist as he transitions, he's going to find confidence in the Lord in the midst of that trial. He's going to cry out to the Lord. You're going to see him crying out. and You're going to see as he goes and he begins to reflect on some things and he warns us of some things, if you would. Some things to consider when it comes to the trials or the ways of life, if you would. And so notice what the Bible says in verse number one. Truly my soul waiteth upon God. From him cometh my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. You know, as we read the word of God, as you go and you study scripture, you'll find that there are at times when we, in a, in a way, take certain words for granted. We take words that we just kind of breeze right on through for granted. I was reminded of this as I was studying scripture uh, tonight in preparation for everything and looked at this one verse, verse number two, and that one small word only, if you would. Because notice what he says here, he only is my rock. And as that, that word only is being emphasized, he's all, he is the only one, he is my rock, but he's the only one that is my rock. I had a conversation just a couple of weeks ago, there was a young man that we were talking to about, or talking to, and I shared this last Wednesday, but he made the statement that uh, he believes that the Lord Jesus is a major part of his salvation. He's the only part of your salvation. But we, we take these things for granted sometimes. And as you come to this portion of scripture right here, we take that word only for granted because he is the only one who can be your rock tonight. He is the only one who can be your salvation. He's the only one that can be your defense tonight. And as you walk through this psalm right here, the psalmist is going to reflect on some great victories that God has brought him through, which gives him the confidence as he is moving forward and he is waiting on God. The psalm here, Psalm 62, the entire emphasis is on that one subject matter on being still and waiting on God. Here's one of the things you're going to see in this psalm as you walk through Psalm 62. One of the the tricks of Satan is that he doesn't want us to wait on God. As a matter of fact, he doesn't want us to rest. He doesn't want us to, to, to pause. He doesn't want us to take some time and be slow about it. The Lord desires to work in our lives on his pace, on his terms, in the ways that he desires to do so. That's why the scripture says his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. The Lord doesn't operate based on what we think he should operate. He operates the way he knows to operate in what is best for us. But Satan sometimes, in the midst of those trials, when we're waiting on God to do something, Satan wants us to speed up. Why? Because when you speed up and you rush, bad things happen. I remember a couple of years ago, I was in the the kitchen and uh, I, I was cutting something and I was in a hurry and I was trying to cut it and slice right through my finger. And it was a good old gash. And all of a sudden, you feel the pain, you look down at the pain, all the blood's everywhere and you're thinking, man, if I'd have just slowed down. And then there are times whenever kids are trying to do something, they're running and they're doing something they should not be doing and all of a sudden they rush and they 
hurt themselves. I remember whenever I was 14, 15 years old and we lived in an apartment complex and in that apartment complex, it had a workout gym and I was playing basketball outside, walked in and began to work out. And as I was waiting for the the next reps and what I was going to do, I was dribbling the basketball and I was going too fast. And as I turned the corner, I wasn't paying attention. I turned the corner and hit the corner of my head right on one of those weight machines. It hurt really bad, and I just kind of got right back up. And as I turned, the entire wall behind me is a wall of mirrors. And so I didn't really feel anything, but I turned, and all of a sudden I turned, and my whole face is covered in blood because it hit so hard that blood began to rush down my face because I was rushing. You see, there's a principle in the Christian life that we see, and especially in this passage of Scripture, that he is going to deal with us on and help us to remind that we need to slow down and wait on the Lord. Notice in verse number 3 what he deals with. He says, how long will ye imagine mischief against a man? This is where he's dealing with this. The psalmist here is going through a trial, and you know how this is. You're going through a trial. You've been praying about something for quite a while. You're asking now the question, Lord, how long is this going to go on? And the psalmist here is asking this question because there comes a time whenever you you just start to become numb to it if you're not careful. There are times whenever we just go, 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 and everyone has fallen into this category at one point in time in their life, but you know how this is, where you go throughout your day, maybe you eat a breakfast, but then the rest of the day, you, you just cannot find time to stop because in your head, you're thinking, I don't have time to stop. But around that 5.30 time, around that 4.30 time, whenever your, your stomach begins to grumble and you get extremely hungry, but you say, I don't have time, and you know what happens. By around 8.30, you're so hungry that you're no longer hungry. You say, I can't eat anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm past that stage of being hungry. I just want to get in bed. I'm just tired. The psalmist here in verse number three is asking this question. He says, how long will ye imagine mischief against a man? Ye shall be slain, all of you, as a bowing wall shall ye be, and as a tottering fence. That statement, how long will ye imagine, as the psalmist is going to deal with this, he says in verse number five, and reminds us of what he's already said in verse number one, my soul, wait thou only upon God. Matter of fact, in verse number two and in verse number six, he reminds us of the same principle of repeating himself as he says, he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. Verse number six, he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. And God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength, my refuge. And he goes on and says, is in God. But then there's a wonderful truth that is found in verse number eight that we're going to find ourselves here looking at here in just a few moments. And this is the struggle of life. Notice again a small word that we take for granted. He says, trust in him at all times. There's a struggle. We talked about this struggle of trusting the Lord at all times this past Sunday in our Sunday school class because that word all is a very simple word. It means all. And that's the definition of it. And you say, well, you just don't understand. This is a different situation. Well, the scripture reminds us that the Lord is faithful in no matter what your situation is. So trust in him at all times. So notice with me what the Bible says. Verse number one on down to verse number four, we see David's cry tonight. David's cry. He says, truly my soul waiteth upon God. From him cometh my salvation. This subject matter of David's cry, the psalmist here is crying out to the Lord. And he's revealing in the midst of these verses right here that his resting, his trust, his confidence, his comfort is all all found in the Lord, as he says these words, truly my soul waiteth upon God. 
Now, the word that is used there, that word truly, he is also going to use the word only in this passage of Scripture, and he's also going to use the word surely in verse number 9. Each of these words, in their context, are the same word. They mean the same thing that he is emphasizing here. As he says, truly my soul waiteth upon God. Only is my rock. He then says, surely men of low degree are vanity. So those words are used in the same context in this passage of Scripture. As a matter of fact, he uses these words in verse 1, 2, 4, 5, 6, and 9. He is showing a theme here that he is resting in God. He is pointing everything to the Lord. He is giving everything to the Lord as he cries out to God Almighty. And so as you think about this statement right here, truly my soul waiteth upon God, you begin to notice some things within these verses, verse 1, 2, 3, and 4. The first thing you notice about the psalmist here being David is notice his patience. Now, I don't know about you. I I know this is a true statement, but every single one of us are patient to a certain degree. Your patient level for some of you is, is, is far exceedingly greater than others. How many of you would characterize or categorize, categorize yourself as a very impatient person? You say, I'm a very impatient person. So there are certain things that you would naturally struggle with because you want it done and you want it done now, but you also want it done right now. You know, and as you think about that, as the psalmist here, he is reminding of us of one of the great struggles of the Christian life, which is waiting on God. I mean, as you read verse number one, as he says, truly, my soul waiteth upon God. And many of us will say these words within our hearts. It's, it's hard for me to do that. I just can't bring myself to. Well, that's because we have to daily crucify our flesh. We have to crucify our mind. We have to crucify our will. We have to die to self and say, Lord, I want to do the things that you want me to do. So he says right here, truly my soul waiteth upon God. Now, again, that word truly is a very important word because he is saying only. He is saying right this very moment, this is a true matter. This is truth. This can be trusted. My soul waiteth upon God. Now, some would ask the question, has he come to a breaking point? You know, the Bible teaches about being at our wit's end, if you would. And there comes a point in many of our lives whenever we're praying about a situation, we're going through a trial, we're going through a problem, we've been researching something, we've, we've done whatever we could do, and there comes a point where we just say, I give up. I'm done. And at that stage of that, that time, whenever you say, I'm done, you're not truly done, but you're kind of fed up with the effort. It kind of gets old, right? I remember whenever we were playing basketball, there would be times whenever our coaches would get onto us at certain times in high school. There was a coach that we had. He was one of the best coaches I had. His name was Coach Harmon. And Coach Harmon was very specific about he, what he wanted done, and he treated every single player the exact same. But when a player began to quit on him, he would say this, I'm done. If you're quitting, then I'm not going to continue to put forth the effort into trying to bring you along. And as you think about the Christian life, you think about the struggle sometimes, that is where we find ourselves, where we have been effortlessly trying to find the results. We've been trying to find the solution. We've been going and going and going. We've been searching this. We've been researching this. We've been going in this direction. The trial is continuing to press on. And we just say, well, I'm just done. It's not that you're tired of it in the sense of you aren't willing to keep putting forth the effort. You're just tired of trying to find the solution, and there's no solution that you can find. The psalmist here says, truly my soul weighs upon God. We don't know if he's come to a place where he has just said, Lord, I'm, I'm done trying. You know, David went through a lot of trials. David went through a lot of difficulties. There were a lot of problems in his life. And this would be one where you're looking at these verses and you're saying, well, he has come to a place which we would categorize as a great place. 
Because regardless of if David has come to the place where he says, I'm done trying, Lord, I'm resting in you, I'm just giving it to you, and he's finally come at his wit's end, and he's saying, Lord, I'm done trying to figure this out myself, or if he has just come to the place where he has seen God work many times, so he is learning that he doesn't have to fear, he doesn't have to fret, he doesn't have to worry, regardless of the situation that brought him to this place, it's the place he's in, and it's the best place to be. You see, one of the most dangerous places in the Christian life to be is when we think we can figure all of the things out. Because that's never the way the Lord desired for us to, to live our Christian life out. No, the Lord desires that we would rest upon Him, that we would delight in Him, that we would allow Him to bring us along. And so you say, well, I've been through this trial before. No trial is ever the same. You say, well, it looks the same. Doesn't mean it's the same. It does not mean it's the same. And so he says, truly my soul waiteth upon God. Notice the patience of the psalmist here as he uses those words. And notice this, if you would, for just a moment. He says, from him cometh my salvation. As you think about this right here, from him cometh my salvation. The psalmist here is thinking or speaking of past help, if you would. Because the psalmist is aware that he has already been saved many times by the Lord. He's been there. He's been a present help, as we made reference to over the last couple of weeks. And so he is looking back and he is realizing that God has never failed him. So because of the past victories, he can rest in the Lord in the present right this very moment. And that is a joy of the Christian life that we know that we can always count on our God. He then goes on and uses these words, he only is my rock. Now, every single one of us knows the importance of a rock. A rock speaks of foundation. And this is a very important truth right at this very moment because every single one of us are building upon a foundation. We're building our lives upon a foundation. We have to ask the question, what foundation are we building upon? You see, the psalmist here says, he only is my rock. It's as though if you begin to think about a house that is being built, uh, you, you think about some of these, these situations over in, in third world countries where they begin to use whatever they have. And so they begin to lay the foundation and maybe they only have uh, 20 blocks that they can lay. Well, then they begin to lay those 20 blocks. Well, then they say, well, we're out of blocks. What do we have that, you know, is pretty sturdy still? So then maybe they go and find some wood. They say, okay, let's lay the wood on top of those blocks, and it's not matching up. It's not the right way, but that's all they can do. And then a storm comes through, and because the proper foundation was not laid, and they were just using what they could get their hands on, it wasn't shored up. You say, well, what are you saying? This is the struggle of the Christian life for many of us, if we're not careful, is that we try to build our lives upon this, but we only do it for so long, and then we start grabbing hold of all these other books out there, all the other opinions out there. All the other suggestions out there. I've said it time and time again, and I truly believe this, that if you want to find someone that is going to agree with you, you can Google anything and you will find at least one person. Doesn't mean it's right, though. You see, truth is what we ought to be searching after. And so if you're going to build your life on a foundation, build it on the right foundation. This is the only foundation. He says, he only is my rock. And so as he is making this statement, he is saying, there's only one proper foundation, and it's God Almighty. That's what you want to build your life on. He then goes on and says, he is my defense. In verse number two, he says, he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. 
This is speaking for just a moment, uh, if you would, as, of a shield. And you think about a soldier's defense in the battle and whatever the case might be. And he goes on and he is illustrating this as he says, he only is my rock and my salvation. David was a warrior and David was a fighter. David was willing to go to battle. He was willing to do these things. So in his mind, he is relaying information in such a way where he can understand it. And so he says right here, he only is my rock. There's only one foundation. He only is my salvation. There's only one who can save and he only is my defense because God Almighty is the only one that can protect us at all times. And so the psalmist is reflecting on all of this. And as he is reflecting on all of this, he has already reminded himself or illustrated rather that he is going to wait on God. But in verse number five, he then re-illustrates this as he says, my soul, wait thou only upon God. Well, why? Because of everything he's just said. Because of all of the things that he has already said. In verse number one, you see, he says, my soul waiteth upon God. In verse number two, he says, he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. But notice the very last statement that is found in verse number two. I shall not be greatly moved. Because David here, the psalmist, is looking at all of what God has done in the past, he's able to rest in the present knowing that God will still remain as faithful as he's always been. And that is one of the things that we see as he goes on in verse number 8, and he transitions from what he is dealing with in his own life to now reminding of us of something that we ought to consider, which is trust in him at all times. It's very simple when we think about these things within the Christian life because as you think about your own life and you're pouring into people, there are certain situations that you go through and you are maybe in the midst of a battle right now or in a trial or maybe you know someone who is and you've been in a trial that is very similar and you saw that the Lord was faithful. And so in that moment, you're able to look back on God's faithfulness to you and God's faithfulness in Scripture as he is reminding of us of all of these many principles and truths. And so as you're going through that, you're reminded that you can share to this individual, hey, you can trust God at all times. How do you know that I can trust God? at all times? Well, because he's never failed me and I'm one of his. And if you're one of his, he'll never fail you either. You see, there's a simple truth there. And you say, well, where do you get that truth from? God's word. You see, I I love that whenever certain questions are asked and we find the truths that are right here in this book, that you don't have to share your opinion. You can just share scripture and scripture never returns void as we know that. And so as you think about the psalmist here, he is reflecting on all of what God has already done, which leads him to verse number one, where he says, truly, my soul weigheth upon God from him cometh my salvation. That statement from him cometh my salvation is referring to past victories, which leads him to understand that in the present, he can trust God. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. And so you notice his patience. But what is the problem here? Notice his problem. His problem is found in verses 3 and 4. Within the midst of the problem, you see the psalmist experiencing difficulty, and maybe it's a trial, and he is seeking out as he is crying out to help from God. As he makes this statement, how long will ye imagine mischief against a man? Now, the, the question that is being posed here is a little bit rhetorical. It's rhetorical in the sense of understanding as he's asking this. He is asking because it has been a lengthy trial. And so it is very similar to when a parent is trying to get the attention of a child. And you've explained to the child dozens, if not more than dozen times, not to do something. 
And yet they do it again and again and again. And here's what comes out of your mouth at some point in time as a parent. When will you learn? Right? Because you've explained it time and time again. You're not asking that question because you want the child to say, uh, right now. Because then you would say, obviously not. So the question that is being asked right here is not being asked in such a way as he is calling out and he is asking these questions just as other psalms when he is doing so. He's not asking because he is wanting an answer. He's asking in such a way he is saying, how long will this take place? As you go and you look at the kings and you look in Elijah's life, you see as he says, how long halt ye between two opinions? He is not looking for an answer in that, that, that situation right there. He is calling them out and he is saying, you continue to live this way. How long halt ye between two opinions? You go to the, jo- uh, the book of Joshua as we were there this past week and Joshua is calling the people out. And so in verse number three is he is making the problem known here. He then transitions and he says, ye shall be slain all of you as a bowing wall shall you be and as a tottering fence. Judgment is coming and judgment will be bringing death to the wicked is what this is addressing to. As you go and you understand what is taking place, it is not just speaking about a physical pain. As the psalmist is dealing with this, he is talking about an eternal pain, eternal separation. And so the psalmist here says, ye shall be slain. The word slain there gives us insight into what he is dealing with. Verse number four, they only consult to cast him down from his excellency. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Selah. It is a sad world in which we are living in right this very moment because what we would consider Christian culture is forever changing right this moment. And it's sad. Just the other day, I was reading an article and there was an article posted about an individual who is a what we would consider or what has been considered a Christian rapper. And he recently has come out with an album But because of culture and the influence of culture, he has come out with an explicit version of the album and also a family-friendly version of the album. Within the explicit version of the album, if you're familiar with music and albums that come out, the artists are always trying to highlight one of their songs as the main song on the album. Well, within this song that is on this album, he multiple times uses or multiple uh, times he uses the word, the F word within that song when it gets to the chorus. But when it gets to the chorus on the family uh, version of the song, he takes that out and he puts a different song. But he calls himself a Christian. Now, I don't know about you. But I remember preaching a message just about a year ago as we were walking through Scripture and Peter is dealing with some things and Paul is dealing with some things. And if you remember, we preached a message out of those two passages in the book of Acts and the message was this simple. Something ain't adding up. And I don't know about you, but as I look at the world and I look at all of the many things that are being portrayed in the world, that is the type of Christianity that is being pushed within our day. And it's a sad thing. It's a sad thing because as you go and you begin to Google this artist, you'll see that so many people are flooding to that music right there. It's a sad day. You see the sad day right before us. And so he says this word in verse number four. They only consult to cast them down from his excellency. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth. But notice these words, but they curse inwardly. 
You see, the psalmist has noticed the problem here. A great trial. You know, within America and within many of our lives, and I'm guilty of this more than anyone else at times, we just don't blush over sin like we ought to. You know, we have gotten so used to sin. It's just everywhere you turn and we get to a place where sin, we become so numb to our surroundings. And it's just as though we're just telling our children as we go to places and this or that, we're just telling them, hey, don't pay attention to them. But our children are paying attention to them. You've got to protect your children. You've got to protect yourself. As we've said this time and time again, as, as David has dealt with this in his own personal life, that there are some times within the Christian's life where we say to our family or we say to other individuals or we say to our children, hey, you aren't mature enough to watch this. You're not mature enough to listen to this. You're not mature enough to take part in this. But there are some things God never intended any Christian, no matter how old you are, to partake in regardless. But we've made excuses as to what we will be able to watch or what we will be able to listen to because we can accept it. But there are things in Scripture that are very clear that no Christian ought to give in to some of these things. We make excuse after excuse after excuse. The problem, as he notices this, and he begins to cry out to the Lord, truly my soul waiteth upon God. Notice with me, though, number two, David's confidence. In verse number five, he says, my soul wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. Well, why is he saying that same? My expectation is from him. Verse number one and verse number five go together. In verse one, he says, truly, my soul waiteth upon God. From him cometh my salvation. Okay, the Lord has been faithful. I'm looking at past victories. I'm looking at past times when he was there. So my help, my salvation, everything that he's done, I can trust him to do it again. So now in verse number five, he says, my soul wait thou only upon God for my expectation is from him. Verse number two and verse number six, again, is a reiteration of each other. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. And so you see his confidence here. Within these verses, you see the psalmist now transition from where he is crying out to God, where he is confident in God. Now, in verse number one, we see that confidence as he is saying, truly, my soul waiteth upon God, but he is crying out to the Lord about some things. In verse number five on down, you see the confidence within the psalmist as he goes on in verse number seven and says, in God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. See this. So now. He has transitioned to where he is crying out to God to now where he is encouraging us. And so notice here some things that he is crying out to the Lord about. And now he is encouraging us in three things. The first thing is this. Be still. In verse number five, he says, my soul wait thou only upon God for my expectation is from him. He's saying be still. The constant temptation, as we've already alluded to earlier, is that when times are as though they're going slow. The trial, it's as though the trial has been present for a lengthy amount of time. The, the problems are persistent. Uh, the, the situation just doesn't go away. We want to rush it. And so there comes a time whenever you're having a conversation. And it's kind of like when you've come to the place where you're just kind of fed up. Let's just say you're having plumbing problems and you've had multiple plumbers out to your house and that plumber came and that plumber couldn't figure it out. The next plumber came and that plumber couldn't figure it out, but you're just pouring as much money into this because you just need it fixed. Then a plumber comes out and he then tells you what it's going to cost and that he guarantees that it will be fixed. Now it's a little pricey, but it doesn't matter because you're just fed up. You want it done. And so your next words are do whatever you've got to do. 
You see, within the Christian life, that is exactly Satan's tactic. Do whatever you got to do. And so you're going through a problem. You're trying to search out for the problem. You're being patient. You're waiting on the Lord. You're trying to trust in Him. But there comes a day of weakness. Maybe you didn't spend time with the Lord. Maybe you didn't spend time in His Word or in prayer. Maybe you're just weary that day and your just mind is struggling. And so all of a sudden, Satan begins to tempt. Do whatever you got to do. Do whatever you got to do. Just figure out a way. You know, there have been times within all of our lives where I think we could look back in a season of life where we did whatever we had to do and it backfired on us. We look and we say, that wasn't the right move. That wasn't the right thing. So notice what he says here. My soul, wait thou only upon God. He is saying, be still. But in verse 6 and 7, he is reminding us that we can be sure. He says, he only is my rock. Now, I want to ask you this question. As you read verse 6 and 7, can you truly say these things? He only is my rock. He only is my salvation. He only is my defense. He only is my salvation, my glory, the rock of my strength, my refuge. He only. Or have you been searching in other ways? In other places? I remember a conversation that I had with a gentleman over seven years ago whenever we were knocking on his door on visitation. He'd been deployed many times. He said every single time that he deployed, he tried a different religion. He'd come to the conclusion that we're all going to end up in the same place. It doesn't matter what religion you end up with. I said, well, brother, I'm sad to say that's not reality and that's not truth. He said, what about this religion? This religion believes this. This religion believes this. They're not the same. What about this? This religion believes this. This religion is not the same. And so as you think about this, we can rest in these truths that he only is my rock. Why? Because he'll never fail us. He only is my salvation, my defense, my salvation, my glory, the rock of my strength, my refuge. And so he reminds us not only be still, but be sure. But then he says this, be strong. As he says these words, as he's trusting in the Lord at all times, he's reminding of us that we can trust the Lord at all times. He people. He goes on and says, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us, Selah. I picture a parent sitting there. As that child walks in, maybe you're sitting on your couch, and that child, you know they've been struggling for quite some time. You're behind the scenes watching everything taking place. And it breaks your heart. You see the pain, you see the decisions, you see everything that is being lived out. You see all of the times when they're trying to do everything themselves and you're just wanting to understand that they can't function that way, they can't live that way. That's never the way the Lord intended for it to be lived out. But there comes a day when that child walks in. You're sitting there, maybe you're sitting there and you're watching TV and the child walks in and they do this right here and they pull up a chair. And they say, I need to talk to you. And they begin to pour their heart out to you. You know exactly the feeling in that moment that takes place. You're, you're humbled that your child has come to you. You're honored about it. You love that they have come to you because they have placed their trust and confidence in knowing that mom or dad is going to give me some wise thoughts or some discernment that they can, can pass along or some understanding and knowledge. And you're, you're just... Glad that it, with tears maybe in your eyes, you're just sitting there listening to your child as they pour out their heart before you. Notice what the Bible says here. In verse number 7, he is telling us right here that he is the salvation, the glory, the rock of my strength, my refuge. And then in verse number 8, he says, trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. 
You see, some of you right this very moment might be going through an extremely difficult trial. Maybe you're going through a, a troubling time. Maybe your burden is heavy. Maybe your situation is there and you can't figure out how to navigate through. When was the last time you poured out your heart before God? When was the last time you came to the Lord and said, Lord, I need you in this moment. Lord, I'm trying to figure all this out. Lord, I'm trying to navigate, but I cannot do it. When was the last time with tears in your eyes and a burden on your heart that you said, Lord, I can't keep living this way. Lord, I need you to take hold of this situation. Lord, I need you to navigate through this. Lord, I need you to guide me. Lord, I need you. You're my only rock. You're my only salvation. You're my only defense. Lord, I need you in this moment. That is what the psalmist is saying here. He's saying, be still in the moment. Be sure that you can trust in the Lord and just be reminded that you can be strong, but it's not in your own strength. It's in God's strength. He says, trust in him at all times. You people pour out your heart before him. God is refuge for us. You know what he's saying right here? He's saying, trust in the Lord. Go to him. You know why? Because he loves you. He's your refuge. He's there. He's always going to be present. And so you see the psalmist in his confidence. Number three, and we conclude with this. You see David's caution here. Verse number eight, he says, trust in him at all times. You people pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Surely men of low degree are vanity and men of high degree are a lie. To be laid in the balance, they are altogether lighter than vanity. Trust not in oppression. Become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. God hath spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his work. Notice David's caution here. David is reminding us when we should trust in the Lord. He says, trust in the Lord at all times, ye people. He's reminding us of not only when, but why we should trust in the Lord. Pour out your heart before God, because why? God is a refuge for us. And so he begins to illustrate the positive things within his caution here. But then there's some negative things. What are those negative things here? In verse number 9, he says, Surely men of low degree are vanity. And so he begins to highlight that trusting in men, men will fail you. If you think that that man or that individual is always going to be present, there will come a time when naturally, because we are sinful men and sinful individuals, that we will let each other down. Don't place your trust in men. And so he goes on in verse number nine and reminds us of some negative things to give ourselves to. He says, surely men of low degree are vanity and men of high degree are a lie to be laid in the balance. And so he says these words, trusting in men will get you. But then he goes on and he uses the word in verse number 10, trust not in oppression and become not vain in robbery. He is saying, trust in might. Don't trust in your own might. I've recently started going back to the gym. It had been about a year and a half, and you know how this is sometimes. Some days you go into the gym and you feel like you can lift 100 pounds. The next day you go into the gym and you feel like you can only lift 20 pounds. You don't go in there confident and cocky and thinking you do. Well, in the Christian life, sometimes that's how we operate. You had a good day yesterday, so you think you can go through today in your own strength. And all of a sudden you're reminded, oh, the only reason I had victories yesterday is because of God. So why am I placing my confidence in myself today? Being reminded that you don't need to trust in man. You don't need to be trusting in might. But he says in verse number 10, if riches increase, set not your heart upon them, trusting in money. Some of the saddest stories you will ever read are individuals that when they were poor, when they didn't have much, they were happy individuals. 
Then all of a sudden they became wealthy individuals and realized rather quickly that the wealth that they thought they needed and would bring all their happiness, it didn't bring it. I remember a story. There was a, a gentleman who was filthy rich. And I'd have to go back and find the, the story. I have it in saved in one of my files. But there was a man who was extremely rich. He was working for a great company. Had all the money he could ever want. But he was unhappy. The job was good, but he was unhappy. Everything was unhappy. Well, he sold everything. Gave all of his money away. I don't know if he got depressed to the point where he just said, Hey, take everything. I don't know what happened exactly. But he gave it all away. He was a homeless individual on the side of the street, and he was just kind of scraping and trying to get his feet back under him. He was still working towards just kind of a a gentle living. Whether you think it's wise or not, that's not part of the story I want you to emphasize or think on. He was asked a question by someone that met him, and they began to ask him some questions about how he had gotten there. He began to share that that story. They later would fact-check all the information that he said. They looked him up. They found out that he was a millionaire at one point in time, but he gave all of his money away. And he made a statement to this person, a poor man on the street made a statement. He said, I have no home. I have no car. I have nobody. He said, but... I found Jesus some time ago, and since I found Jesus, I'm happier now as a poor man than I ever was as a rich man. Why? Because he found true riches. Notice what the Bible says right here in this passage of Scripture. As you study this statement, if riches increase, set not your heart upon them. Oh, how many people sometimes, if we're not careful, we think that all the riches of this world are going to bring all the happiness you know how many people that are rich and famous right this very moment, they were athletes, they were movie stars, they were high CEOs of companies, whatever the case might have been, that found out really quick that money doesn't buy happiness. Where's true happiness found? Jesus. And so the psalmist is reminding us of this right here as he says in verse number 11, God has spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. Notice these final two truths that he begins to emphasize. He emphasizes God's word as he says, power belongeth unto God. Go to the Lord often. And then he says, also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renderest every man according to his work. Not only God's word, but his ways. In Psalm 62, the trials are heavy. The psalmist has figured something out. It doesn't matter what situation, doesn't matter what trial you're in. Truly, my soul waiteth upon God. Why are you able to wait upon God? Because he only is my rock. He only is my salvation. He only is my strength. He only is my defense. He only is my refuge. He only is mine. Trust in him at all times. Lord, we do come to you tonight. Lord, we thank you. Lord, I know that there are some that may be going through a trial right this very moment. Maybe they've been trying to navigate through and they can't figure it out. I pray right this very moment, Lord, you'd comfort, you'd guide and direct. Lord, I thank you for the lessons that have been learned as we live life. And Lord, we realize rather quickly, Lord, that where would we be without you? Lord, I pray that you remind us of that tonight. Lord, that you would use this time of invitation to encourage us and challenge us. Bring us unto an understanding, Lord, that we need to recognize our need for you, not just in salvation, but all the days of our lives. Pray that you'd help us now. Guide us and direct us. Use this invitation the way you see fit. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray.